back to the art and science of sound healing. I'm your host, Thomas Orr Anderson, recording here in my cozy mountain cabin in Sewanee, Tennessee, surrounded by thick forest and beautiful waterfalls. Today we have a very special guest. I am incredibly excited, honored, and delighted to welcome Rich Goodhart to the show. Um, I don't even know where to begin with this gentleman. He has a, there's a lot to say about him. He is a, uh, I'm just going to read the beginning of his bio. He's an internationally recognized and respected world music, multi-instrumentalist, composer, recording artist with world music in non-traditional forms, as well as a master shamanic sound healing practitioner, poet, writer, instrument builder, qigong tai chi instructor. He's composed, produced, arranged, and engineered seven albums of progressive world music. The author of two books. Uh, He's performed and collaborated with many highly regarded musicians, dancers, writers, including Allen Ginsberg, John Anderson of Yes. Um, See Deepak Chopra on there. There's a long list. And... uh, He plays lots of different instruments, including some I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, but also bazooki, dulcitar, cosmic sonic banjo. Maybe he'll tell us about that. Berimbau, African Middle Eastern hand drums, Native American flutes, melodica, jaw harp, Himalayan bowls, gong, voice. Um, It goes on and on and on. I won't keep going with it so we don't take up the whole show with my introduction so uh welcome rich um yes thank you thank you thomas for having me yeah very excited so to get started today can you just well yeah could you tell us just a little bit about your background i already of course read your uh bio but your background particularly anything that um connects to the theme of the show being the art and science of sound healing anything that jumps out yeah sure i'll um i'll sort of go through a little bit of personal history and just kind of quickly skim through a few things but Fantastic. Um, i would say that you know from early on certainly from teenage years in the mid-70s um I, I, I tuned into the, you know, a lot of the art rock that was happening then, and particularly the band Yes, and uh, um, pieces, you know, when they were doing things like Close to the Edge and Tales from Topographic Oceans, these grand works, you know, that 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 took up a whole side of a, a vinyl. Um, it, it drew me into other worlds. You know, you, you you'd put those things on. Uh, turn off the lights and immerse in the music, and and it, and it awakened something. It was music that um, spoke to something much greater, and uh, then much greater than what a lot of music speaks to, um, for me anyway. And uh, that, and, and other things like Tangerine Dream, you know, the from the classic Tangerine Dream uh, albums in the mid early '70s. That again was about the experience was about transforming your consciousness and taking you into a different realm. Um, that wasn't just a fantasy escape. It was 
something that was a turning on, you know, to to some kind of grander flow of life that um and, and vibrancy and dimension, multidimensionality of life that and that I got from listening to that music. And then um in the early eighties, uh in my early twenties I came across that book Through Music to the Self by Peter Michael Hamill, which was an early uh entry into books that sort of, you know, in some ways it could be seen as a new age book, but it was it was actually doing a lot of ancient things, talking about a lot of ancient uses of sound for healing and and consciousness awakening and and uh I was at Cal Arts in the mid eighties, the California Institute of the Arts had um developed an issue with my right arm that was becoming a chronic issue. Uh and it came from practicing. I was practicing piano and playing tabla, the classical Indian drums, and practicing other things and just, you know, enthusiastically practicing for hours a day. And I developed this um issue with my right arm, went to massage therapists, chiropractors, we even ended up going to a doctor, went to a neurosurgeon. When I went to the neurosurgeon, uh, I mentioned how, you know, that clearly it developed because of the stress of over-practicing, and the neurosurgeon said, oh, stress has nothing to do with it, which was just, you know, laughable, yeah. <laughs> and um, so to jump over a bunch of steps there, uh, one evening at, um, at, at, at the college, we had... Uh, this whole set of drums that were set up in the main hall that one of the artists there at the school had made out of these ceramic drums, this family of drums. And then with, with the African, one of my African teachers, Alfred Ledzekpo, uh, he and several of us um, spent a weekend one time heading the drums, putting goat skins on them. So anyways, we had this um, event where we were playing, myself and several other of the uh, world music students. Um, there, there was a big music festival, and when the festival let out, all these people came out, and we were right out there in the main hall, and we started playing. And just to you know have a jam with all this, you know, several hundred people around us. And we did it twice, and the second night, I was on the center drum, like the lead drum, and there was you know, a couple hundred people crowded in around us. There was all this wonderful energy. And as that happened, at some point, I felt this welling up of energy coming up, like through the floor, up through the base of the drum. And it rose up through the sound and the rhythm and entered through my body. And it healed my shoulder. It, it was like a force that moved through me and released whatever was being stuck in my shoulder and causing all these problems. Wow. Um, so I had this spontaneous uh, healing experience with sound, you know, which did something that, you know, the neurosurgeon, the doctors, the chiropractors, the acupuncturists, none of that worked for me other than maybe some temporary relief. And this was a spontaneous sound experience that um, that did it. Wow. I love that story. I actually have uh, some stories quite similar myself. Um, what what kind of drum were you playing at that time? 
Well, um, again, they were they were made by um, this student at the school that was an artist and um, ceramic artist, and she had made this whole family of ceramic drums. So it was just kind of, I mean, it, it, it was what she made, but they were kind of African-styled uh, drums, but usually you don't see African drums in ceramic so much. Yeah. But, but in that general shape of, like... I want to say djembes or ashikos, but I don't remember them being hourglass. They were, you know, conical shaped drums mm-hmm. with with goat skins on them. One one thing I've learned through my uh, discussions with you for the last few months is that uh, aside from being an artist uh, and, a, and a healer and student of healing, um, you also have a fundamentally logical scientific sort of approach to in that's in infused into your thinking which is actually delightful for me and quite unusual in these fields and i suspect that when that happened you probably started thinking about it and wondering what's going on and maybe uh, developing some ideas and looking into it can you tell us about you know, what your thoughts were about what might have happened. And I'm sure you probably thought some things initially and then learned more as you went along. Can you tell us a little bit about your, really your, your sound, your, your thoughts about the logic and reasoning behind sound healing experiences and how those developed early on and how they've evolved? Yeah. Um, interesting question because my my first my first reaction is that oh well actually I'm really not all that logical and scientific about it <laughs> um, but but I am um, I, I I do have a low tolerance for nonsense <laughs> or, or, or I think that's know. what science is essentially okay well yeah um, yeah low tolerance for nonsense but also uh, remaining open to the um, the magic and the mystery, you know, and and I think in, in that aspect of it, I'm I'm comfortable with not knowing, um, you know, the mechanisms behind everything, uh, and I don't really remember what my initial thoughts were when I had that healing experience, but I know that over time. You know wh- whether I thought this at the time or it just developed over time, this awareness, um, and I may have gathered this awareness through personal experience, but also through reading, um, reading about shamanism and and then other things with healing work, alternative healing work, and energy medicine. Uh, that we have um, so much, you know, many things that we experience, particularly with chronic issues. This chronic shoulder issue I had. Um, it, it could be traced, you know, there was, there was a very clear nerve pathway in the body that um, there was a point in my shoulder where, where I very much felt a focal point of the inflammation. And if you just look at a chart, you know, of the nervous system, you'll see that that nerve comes down the arm and then runs down the right side of my arm and really affects like the uh, ring finger and the little finger, that half of the hand, that, you know, lower half of the hand. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that was just very clear. There was nothing mystical about that. You know, I could feel 
where that was in my body and it was you know recognized um biologically so um you know what i you, you know we we have we have um whether it's accidents you know you're in a car accident you fall off your bike um any any of a million ways we can injure ourselves and have damage and trauma and break bones or tear muscles or tendons or something or whatever happens um those things can heal physically but there can be a trauma that's held in the body um in my case with my shoulder it wasn't any profound injury it was just the repetitive stress you know repetitive stress syndrome of of using uh, my hands and arms and body in certain ways um for hours at a time daily and uh so those things can get held and locked in the body and even though x-rays don't show it or or if it, there was a wound it, you know it's healed vertebrae can be broken or bones can be broken and they can heal but then there's still a chronic pain there and it's because those traumas get held some of them are very clear as tension you know things are held in tension but traumas can be held energetically in the body and So what happened in that that spontaneous healing I had was the sound that energy was awakened and rose that force which wasn't just in me you know it was coming through the drum it was coming through the fact that there was I think at least four other drummer friends around me we were all drumming um there was you know 200 people focused on us in very close and they were grooving to the music and getting off on it so there was this big wave of energy that that then um was very focused and central i i was i was in the center of and that energy um moving through releases you know it 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 brings it brought me into an alignment um into an attunement where i was able to let go of what was being held on to and my body then could um heal itself could could drop into its natural alignment and and allow that wound that that tension or stress or trauma to release if that makes sense did i even answer the question or did i go off on a tangent uh, i i did whatever you said i i like it um <laughs> the I really like that story particularly because of all the different things occurring right then. It's uh it has a lot of kind of a lot of c- crucial components going on. One, you were really actively participating. You weren't passive. You were probably also having fun, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You also Joy is part of it. Yeah. You also have uh you know all these other people involved so that sort of intensifies and kind of complicates it. You also have your body moving very rhythmically. You also have a uh, a sort of athletic component because drumming is definitely an athletic event in and of itself. And then you of course have the sound coming from the drum itself, the vibrations going up you know rattling or pulsing through your the structure of your body and then you have the sound from all the other instruments and then you have the uh 
the sound going into your ears affecting your psychological along with the experience itself and all the other aspects but you have this psychological factors occurring and I, I feel like that story has has so many of the different types of um, basic components of sound healing experiences all gathered into one. I had a, I'll, I'll see if I can say it really briefly. I had a really interesting experience. I was, I had a uh, severely injured, was a severely sprained ankle. And I, I had entered this race. It's a race where you run around a one mile track and everybody gets to run for as many hours as they are years old. So if you're 80 years old, you get to run for 80 hours. If you're 20 years old, you get to run for 20 hours and whoever finishes the most miles wins. <clears throat> and I entered it mostly cause my dad's a, he's an ultra marathoner and I kind of wanted to do it with him. It sounded fun. But then I had a severely sprained ankle and I decided, you know, maybe it's not a good idea to do it because I can hardly walk. But last minute I decided, hmm, I am going to heal my ankle by running this race. And so what I did was I was, I wasn't running. I was hobbling. I was walking very, very slowly. I was limping and could barely walk. And one of the, one of the runners, uh, there were a lot of the world's most famous accomplished ultra marathoners going around this one mile track. So you end up in a lot of conversations and there's this, uh, lady, she's, I forget her name, but she's the, holds the most world records for any female long distance runner. Like she has the coast to coast record. I think she averaged 60 miles at 67 miles a day running coast to coast. She, um, she's also a, a main character in the book born to run when the, the uh, tribe from Mexico was brought up to Colorado to run that long distance race. And they, uh, there was only one person that could keep up with them. And it was, it was this lady. Anyway, I heard somebody say to her, how do you do it? How do you run, you know, for thousands of miles, you know, averaging such immense numbers. And she said, the key is to have fun. If you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. And I heard that and it was the middle of July in Tennessee. I was hobbling, having these 80 year olds lap me over and over and over as I hobble around this track. And I was like, I thought, man, I'm definitely not having fun. And so I decided, well, I'm just gonna try to have fun and quit trying to make it around the track. So I started kind of standing up on my tiptoes and seeing the little spots on the ground and trying to land on them as if I were playing some kind of game. And I noticed as I went up on my tiptoes, the pain and dislocation in my ankle kind of, I I couldn't really feel it. So I was really enjoying being on my tiptoes. And I mean, I was going at the pace of a a toddler walking on his hands and knees, going very much slower than a slow walking pace. And I was going along doing this, and then I found these uh, curbs, those kind of strips of concrete that you put in front of a parking spot. And then I decided to kind of walk on them like a tightrope. So I'm up on my toes, walking on these things like a tightrope, kind of 
thought I, I think I looked kind of wacky. People were wondering what I was doing and cause they're all trying to make it around the track and I'm doing this little tightrope game. And after I came off the last curb, I hopped down onto my toes and my ankle goes like as if it were a transformer or something just goes zoop, and I, I guess popped back into place. I guess my ankle was some sort of dislocated and all of a sudden I was fine after three months of terrible injury instantly it went away and then I, I, I uh, sprinted for three miles lapped everybody and people were wondering what was going on because they'd been watching me hobble and all of a sudden I'm the fastest guy on the track because people don't sprint in those kind of races and I attributed essentially to fun the fun is a really really big part of healing and I think it's oftentimes neglected and I appreciate that your story had fun involved in it because if if, uh, like she said, if you're not having fun, you're not doing it right. I, yeah. uh, had, uh, bef- I will get back to having you talk because you're the, the guest, but one more interesting quick story. I got to spend some time with Zakir Hussein, the, uh, one of the most yeah. renowned tabla players of all time. And one of the most rigorously practiced musician on earth, I had him all alone and I said, Hey, Zakir, I've got you all alone and, you know, you're one of the most accomplished musicians alive and um, here's my chance. Lay it on me. Teach me something. This is, this is an opportunity for you to pass something along to somebody who's wide open. And he said, here's the secret. And I kind of got nervous. And he said, no matter when, every time you touch your instrument, whether you're tuning it, practicing, performing, no matter what you're doing with your instrument, every single time you touch it, keep this one fundamental discipline, always have fun. And it hit me so deep because I, I, first of all, I was so scared he was going to say, practice 10 hours a day for 20 years and then come back and talk to me. But (laughs) instead, I was set free and... Those two people, these some of the most accomplished masters of, of, of extraordinary things, both gave the same advice and said that the key is to have fun. So I really appreciate I'm actually wearing a shirt that says fun, too. <laughs> um, so I'm glad that your story had fun involved. Well, I, that, you know, that um, I didn't... Um, I, what you just said there... Uh, made me think of um, my own musical life. And just a few days ago, I was actually doing another interview for a local paper, and they were asking me about my early musical experience. And and I played clarinet in fourth and fifth grade. And then in sixth grade, I, I quit. And because um, and, and I wasn't having any fun. It, it was <laughs> stressful. I wasn't enjoying it. And... In sixth grade, we went from the elementary school to the middle school, and there was a new music, so it was a new music teacher. He was, you know, the orchestra director, and he, there was, he was laying such pressure on me to 
you know, to, to continue in. And, and I think it was, you know, he needed a clarinet in his orchestra. So it was about what he needed and not about whether I was having any fun or not. And, and I, I was, uh, you know, whatever that, that could go talk about those unfun stories. Um, but it, it so turned me off. It was, it was not, you know, the music wasn't going to live in me through, through that kind of teaching and training and um and, and what got me back into music was discovering that a friend of mine down the street had a guitar and we had a piano here in the house so we were together we're um figuring out how to play led zeppelin songs <laughs> you know i mean we, we, i mean literally we'd start with you know a lot of love you know start with what you can do and then do Iron Man by Black Sabbath, you know, just like, the, you know, or, or the classic Smoke on the Water. I mean, these things that were fun pieces of music and were such basic pieces of music that you could pick them up right from the start as, you know, music lesson number one. And um, and then we progressed into things like the Allman Brothers and Genesis and did some Yes. Got know, more complicated. Music. Yeah, yeah, it got more complicated, but... um. But right, it was the it was that joy that that made it happen, not not some kind of heavy-handed forced discipline. One thing I I really appreciate I I'm, I also play and study African drumming, and uh, I've gotten to see and be around a lot of great African drum masters and groups. And one thing that always struck me in performances particularly is people will have the biggest smile, almost as if it's, you know, part of the rules of their performance or something, the biggest, beautiful smiles as part of the, the drumming. And I, I feel like that's a, yeah, it's an often neglected part of it <clears throat> when people are talking about sound healing. I rarely hear anybody mention fun and uh, fun is not to be underestimated. Fun has healing properties in and of itself. Um, Have a question. Have you, and it's a pretty big question, actually, have you over the course of time developed any sort of uh, theory or approach or philosophy about sound healing that is communicable verbally in in this type of circumstance um i i don't um you know in terms of developing something i i don't think these are you know my thoughts necessarily uh i didn't invent some new way of thinking about it but um you know what i was saying before about um traumas and in wounds being held in the body and the energy of sound, you know, moving, bringing that sound is a great, uh, medium for bringing ourselves into attunement for, for engaging our mind, body, emotions, and bringing them into harmony, creating like a, almost this substance, this etheric substance of the sound of, of music. Um, and not just music, it can be musical, but it, it also can be sound that, that one may not consider 
musical sound, but it can create uh, this environment environment that is both something we hear and respond to, but also feel in our body, uh, and that it it allows or creates this opportunity for the body to come into attunement with itself. Uh, and in that place, you know, that's that's a great place for healing to occur when we when we've come into alignment when and the different aspects of ourself which are maybe out of alignment or not in good communication you know our emotions in our body and our mind and everything to bring them into back into harmony you know into its original original state uh sound in music seems to be a really potent medium for facilitating that and uh, and also you know this ties back into my my personal history in sound healing you know after the 80s after having that drumming experience personal healing experience and continuing with music uh, being interested in shamanism uh learning to practice tai chi which then led to a lot more different qigong practices I was doing all of these things, really kind of these three three different streams, shamanism, sound, and uh, and qigong. And all the time being a musician, too. You know, uh, not thinking of myself as a sound healer, but as a world music, multi-instrumentalist musician. And um, somewhere along the line, you know, the not even you know, along a line, but just holistically, all these elements were getting closer and closer together till I got to the point where I realized they were all part of the same thing. Um, and now I, I, I want to not not lose that train of thought, but um, want to mention while it's in my mind that I then in the mid-90s um, met this woman, Sarah Benson, Sarua, uh, often called Sarua or, or Sarah. And uh, I was teaching, I was leading drumming, a drumming circle at a sacred arts week at the abode of the message, which is a Sufi community in upstate New York. And she was, we were both on the faculty there. So we met each other there and she was in my workshop and experienced my work and I was in hers and experienced her work. And she then, after that, invited me to come and study with her. And it was a classic case of, you know, the classic line, when you're ready, the teacher appears. And uh, ended up having a 10-year close association with her as being a student, but in her being this you know, ongoing mentor. But also we became collaborators in cohorts working together with the sound. But what I'm specifically getting at is there's an essay of hers uh, freeing the voice sounding the soul is the name of it and i included it in my first book and because she um she passed away 10 years ago mm. in 2007 um and that at that point i had worked with her since 96 so 11 years and um but the opening line of that essay is uh there is no hiding in the sound of your voice. Mm. And uh, so coming back, you know, tying in with your question, that's 
something that I've come to find is a very big part um, is using your voice, your voice being the most potent sound healing instrument there is, my, my personal opinion. Um, I have a gong, you know, really nice gong. I have a really great collection of antique Himalayan bowls. I play Native American flute. I play cosmosonic trance banjo, <laughs> which not too many sound healers play. Um, but so I use all those things, and I'm not, you know, putting any of that stuff down. Uh, I sometimes work with tuning forks, but I think the central instrument is your own voice. And agreed. Uh, Our bodies are are designed. Our every part of us, not our brains, minds, uh, hearts. What our soul potentially. Uh, designed from the start to respond to the voice. I mean, the very first comforting thing is probably the sound of our mother's voice. Yeah. And then it's, you know, resonating inside of us. I definitely agree with you on that part, on that point. That's a, it's empowering too, empowering piece of information because when people first become interested in sound healing of some sort generally they you know wonder what what instrument do i need to get i need to buy a special tuning fork or a special gong or a special singing bowl or special didgeridoo or whatnot and really right inside them they have the key their 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 own voice and yeah and 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 when i when i first met sarah and i you know i was this was Ten years after having the that healing experience with the drumming, and I had been, you know, read Peter Michael Hamill's book, and I probably read some other things, and was aware of this, you know, mystical spiritual aspect of music. Um, in fact, I know there were other books that I had read, but hadn't really come across anyone or really given much thought to sound healing as this practice and until I met Sarah and uh, and she um, I'll just add uh, she was known uh, as sound healing's best kept secret and also as a teacher of teachers and she you know most of this was pre-internet she didn't advertise she, she did workshops she may put up flyers but she was never you know, put any major effort into promoting herself, never had a website of her own, even, you know, once the internet got up and running. So she invited me to come for a all day workshop as an introduction. And uh, she lived about two hours from me. So I was on the phone with her beforehand, getting directions to, to there, to her place. And I asked, so what should I bring? And she said, oh, you don't need to bring anything. <laughs> and then I was I was a little confused. I said, "Well, you know, sound healing, right? I I have all these instruments. Aren't we using instruments? You, you know." She says, "Oh no, this is all about your voice." Mm. And you know, and then she went on, and you know, and and I and my response was, "I don't use my voice," <laughs> <clears throat> which I do now. <laughs> and she said, "Oh, you will." And uh, so the the study with her, the training. Um, you know, I, I participated in 
you know, at least a couple of week-long in, intensives with her um, expansives, as she called it. She preferred the word expansive instead of intensive. And, uh, and all the work was with our voices. And yet she played flute, had Himalayan bowls, had shakers, drum, you know, an assortment of things. And she would use them. And when we would do events, we would do uh, sound healing events where we would, you know, work either with a group or even do individual things, we would use all of our instruments as well as their voices. But as far as her perspective, the training, if you were like training and wanting to be a sound healer, then all of that training was through the voice because that was the direct thing. It was, you know, you could get a gong and learn how to hit a gong. And there are people that offer these things and, you know, the W a gong master after a weekend workshop of teach showing you how to hit a gong. Um, her, her work was all about the voice because you could hit that gong and hit it, you know, with exquisite motion of the arm and never really deal with what's going on inside of you. Mm. But with the voice, you can't avoid it. Yeah. It's definitely inside and your yeah. your emotions are all tied up into every little quiver and your memories, and, and that, your and thoughts. That, yeah, exactly. And that, that first day, that first workshop with her at her house, there was myself and um, eight or nine other people. And so we were all in a circle with Sarah. And the very start, you know, so often happens is you go around the circle and you introduce yourself and, and maybe you say why you're there. Well, we did that, but we also... You'd introduce yourself, say what brought you there, and then you had to sound, you know, for like a couple of minutes, just sound, not sing your favorite song, but just go into yourself and let out your sound, whatever you're doing. And for someone who has not used their voice publicly, you know how that is. You yeah. Immediately, your stress level goes up. <laughs> as as the circle, you know, it's coming closer and closer to you. Your stress level goes up higher and higher. You're not even listening to the person next to you. You're just stressing out about, oh no, I'm next. And um, and then you know, and then then when I'm next, then it's like, okay, take a deep breath, and just, uh, you know, whatever the sound is that's going to come out, start there, and. And just that one thing was incredibly transformative, you know, to do that and just go with whatever sound was coming out of me for, for a couple of minutes. Um. Yeah, that's a, I, I had a kind of a similar experience with one of my first Qigong teachers who, with whom I studied the most time and most intensively. His name was Master Kwan, a Korean guy. And I was in Flagstaff, Arizona at the time. And he, in a circle one day when I first started at the school, he had us, he brought out a little karaoke device and he had each person sing a karaoke song. And at this point in time, when I'd just gotten really deeply into meditation and yoga and I was uh, at that point taking myself <clears throat> quite seriously and singing a karaoke song of some sort of pop song, music I didn't even like in the first place. And 
I was, we were supposed to sing it with full emotion and expression, kind of like, you know, somebody on a TV show or something. And that to me was, it was a kind of a different lesson in that it wasn't just about using our voice, but about just exposing ourselves and being vulnerable, which is really, really, um, important. That's something that's a big part of exploring your voice as you find out, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like you could stand there naked in front of the world, but you're not really naked until your voice is coming out. Your voice yeah, is exactly. really and shows the inside of you, not just your skin. And that that's what that first time in that circle, you know, that incredible vulnerability, um, you know, and that's part of where all the fear and tension comes in, you know, Oh no, I'm going to be exposed. But then when you're, if you're in, like this workshop I was in, you're in a place that's you with people that are, uh, you know, safe. They're not going to be judging you. They're not going to be taking you down. Um, you know, unlike these, these TV shows, these voice TV shows where you've got the panel of judges critiquing you on, <laughs> you know, um, when yeah. you do it in a place where you're allowed to be vulnerable, <laughs> Yeah, I, I'd like to want uh, want to kind of touch to our the top the sort of main theme of the show, the art and science of sound healing, and kind of uh, addressing you know the fundamental point of this series is kind of is looking at where art applies and where the science applies, and in and letting those harmonize by not putting them, not misplacing them. And so one thing, when you were talking about, you said it a couple different times, a couple different ways, but essentially your approach or philosophy or your groundwork basis idea of how, what happens in when there's sound healing, when you're describing your own uh, first experience as well as your what you've learned through your practice and studies is you said something along the lines of sound has the ability to bring all the parts of you, your heart, mind, body into harmony, into alignment. And, and through that sort of harmonizing of the various aspects of yourself, both physical, mental, emotional, and whatnot, then that puts you into the place where the body heals itself. And one thing I find very, one thing that's quite notable about what you've said is what you haven't said. I haven't heard you say anything um, like, well, what you need to do is have a gong tuned to this special frequency and then that frequency will heal you or you really need to have singing bowls tuned to these certain frequencies, or you really need to play this particular type of drum at this particular rhythm. You haven't said anything like that. Um, and, and instead you've said things that, that sound sort of empowering in the sense that you don't have to memorize anything. You, if one were to seek out healing based on what you've said so far, they would seek experiences that harmonize their heart, body, and mind and bring themselves into alignment. And uh, rather than having to 
go take us a, a weekend course to memorize the frequencies or of some sort of arbitrary system. Oh, I've already, it, yeah. So can you, can you talk a little bit about that, about the difference between what you've said and your, your approach that you've presented and the, what's being taught out there in the world most commonly being these systems of frequency memorization and, you know, basically the things I just named and you're quite yeah. familiar. Well, yeah, a lot of, um, a lot of the information out there and, you know, out there is like memes going on the internet and there are certain things that whoever started them, you know, they, they don't have ancient roots regardless of what people say. It's something that somebody's contrived somewhere in, you know, in the last five or 10 or 20 years. And then it's funny how these ideas, certain ideas, I guess because they're easy and they kind of provide like a magic pill um, that they catch on and, and they spread like wildfire. And then you, you can go online and, oh, wow, there's 200 sites that say 432, you know, all this stuff about 432 hertz. Um, and 98% of what they're saying is just completely false. It's contrived. It's, it's just nonsense. Um, and uh, as you know, this is maybe one of the first things that when we first connected on the Internet, I, I wrote an article. Um, uh, what it's about, I think it's called 432 Hertz, Truth, Lies, and Creative Storytelling, something like that, um, where I basically go through a lot of the things that are found online and and point out you know the falseness of them and and beyond just pointing out a you know a bunch of this contrived nonsense is um I go into what what is frequency to begin with and and what are these numbers and and what relation do they have to reality and so and this is a seems to be a hard one for some people to get some people get it right away. I mean, it's, it's, it's not hard in terms of needing the intellect to understand the, the concept. That, that's easy. It's, the hard thing seems to be letting go of what you want to hold on to and what you want to believe. And that is that frequency is an arbitrary artificial measurement. When you have a 432 hertz tone, or a 440 hertz tone, or 528, or any tone, there is not, you know, in that 432 hertz tone, there is not 432 of anything happening in that note, in reality, when you're playing that note or hearing that note. That 432 is only a measurement of the waves, you know, the wave cycles against an exact unit of time called a second. That second does not exist in nature. You know, <laughs> the year exists in nature. The day exists in nature. Hours do not exist in nature. Minutes do not exist. Seconds do not exist um, in the natural world. There is nothing there in that tone. You know, if you, you know, we don't listen to music for precisely exactly one second. You know, <laughs> if you listen to a 432 hertz tone for 
1.01 seconds, you would get more than 432 vibrations. Mm -hmm. You know, so the idea that these numbers mean anything is just, there's no basis for it. And, and there is not any historical evidence that uh, the Greeks, you know, that Pythagoras tuned to 432 hertz or that the Egyptians did or anybody or Tibetan bowls are tuned to 432 hertz is completely nonsense. Um, what is significant, though, in, in, in the science, and this is not dismissing science, this is very scientific um, and science just in terms of observing what is really there is the relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, the relationships between tones. You know, is it a major third? Is it a perfect major third? You know, is it well-tempered or just intonated or, you know, any of these intervals? Um, that's where things happen. And that's that's real. That's, you know, so there is this element of science, of, of being able to look at the phenomenal world and measure it and see what's happening. Um, that is very real. And I'm, you know, very much... In, in, you know, in alignment with that, and aware of that, and uh, you know, on the one hand, and then also very much have very low tolerance for these things that are contrived and made up, um, or have no actual basis. One thing you mentioned a little while ago was you said something about being comfortable not knowing, and yeah. I feel like that is really fundamental to this this issue uh, of people wanting to memorize certain frequencies. They want to know what frequency. So people will come to me, you know, for a sound therapy session or a sound therapy workshop or one, whatnot. Probably, you know, three out of four people or some really high percentage will say, hey, what frequency is the, the one? What's the healing frequency? They want to know <clears throat> Or they want to know, you know, what note should you play when or what tuning fork should you place where. And I really think that being comfortable not knowing is really fundamental to what we call art. Um, one, of my, yeah. one of my previous guests, he was, uh, he's a freestyle rapper and he gets on stage in front of a whole bunch of people and has to make up his lyrics and have them rhyme and be on the beat and have them be entertaining. He has to make them up off on the top, off the top of his head. And that art involves getting very comfortable, not knowing, not knowing what you're going to say. And I think that that's really fundamental to any art, particularly improvisational art, not knowing. Um, even it's fundamental to science because a scientist has to accept what they don't know and be comfortable with it and uh, with and not try to pretend that they do know something that they don't know. Instead, look at what you know and what you don't know and that boundary, the sort of uh, the surface kind of metaphorically created between what's known and what's not known is this the surface that we ride when we're in a state of honesty. And that same place is also, in my experience, where healing occurs. Um, 
there's a there's a quotation from one of the Carlos Castaneda books where Don Juan says, I'm paraphrasing, he says, <clears throat> a warrior ex- acknowledges or recognizes, a warrior recognizes that the universe is a f- un- an unfathomable mystery. A warrior also recognizes that they are a part of the universe. Therefore, a warrior also acknowledges that they are an unfathomable mystery that this comfort with mystery this comfort with not knowing is really really fundamental and i think that part of this arbitrary pseudo scientification of sound healing is the thing that's so attractive about it is that it gives people this idea that they know People say, I know that this tuning fork is good for your DNA vibrations or this frequency is good for this and this frequency is good for that. Once people memorize it, they feel knowledgeable, like they know something. And Yeah, they feel they know something and they feel they have, you know, it's, it's also very easy. You know, if 432 is the root of all evil, there it is, done. 440, you mean? You know, 440, right. 440 is, of course, my word. <laughs> Watch what I say. Lightning will strike me down. Yeah. Um, 440 is the root of all evil. And if we just return to the natural tuning of 432, you know, all war and all famine and pain and, and crime <laughs> will cease to exist. It's just, I mean, there are, I, I'm sort of making a joke of it but 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 as you know full well there are people that say that online basically it's essentially you know that is being said it's becoming like a religion yeah and um and they they you know claim all these modern ills relate to the standardizing of 440 as the reference tuning back in you know what the 1930s whenever it was and you know, it's like, yeah, you know, you're right. Look at history. We never had war before the 1930s. I mean, <laughs> it's all evil stems from, you know, less than 100 years ago. I mean, it's just crazy. Um, I'm joking, of course. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm glad to hear you say something about the unit of the second, the arbitrary unit that we call one second. Because that's one of the things when, when you say, you know, if, if you say something's tuned to 440, it's 440 cycles per second. And as you said, if a second is defined slightly differently, then 432 would be called 440 or vice versa. Another interesting part of it is if you <clears throat> say you're playing a note at 440 hertz, 440 cycles per second and then you bob your head as you're bobbing your head forward it gets tuned up as you're bobbing your head back it gets tuned down the frequency is not just dependent on the unit of the second but it's also highly dependent upon the the velocity that you are moving relative to the sound source and the wind so, for example, if you have a big concert speaker playing at a festival and you're walking toward the stage and they are tuned to 432 as you're walking toward the stage, they might be tuned to 440. Or if they're tuned to 440 
and you're walking away from the stage, they're, they might be tuned to 432. And, and, and of course, we hear that, you know, the classic example is a train whistle. You know, if the train is coming towards you, the pitch rises. Yep. And, and, the, and the train didn't effect. change pitch. Yeah, it didn't, didn't change pitch when it's going away from you. But your perceived pitch has changed, yeah. It's, a, it's really fundamental to cosmology. The, you know, that's how we identify the expansion of the universe and identify how far away stars are is by the amount that the, the frequencies emitted by them are shifted. Uh, Something you said there, go go ahead. Oh, no, no, you go ahead, please. Well, yeah, just, I I wanted to just get back to a moment for what you said about the not knowing part. Yeah. Um, And I, I think that's fundamental again, you know, knowing, having these reducing something to a simple concept like a frequency does this or that yeah it it allows us to feel like we know something and then and then we can say okay we're done let's you know turn on the television or whatever you know whatever diversion but but easy to know something like that and that's not you know necessarily the reality and i think being comfortable with not knowing um but being able to observe, to immerse into an experience, learn to really feel the effects, observe, sense, um, be aware, <clears throat> you know, something that, mm, yes. that, I've, that I've, you know, I think is fundamental to all my practices of sound and shamanic practices and Qigong and everything. And, uh, you know, I didn't even, wasn't even thinking along these lines when I did it, but and I, I mean, I still do this, but I did it a lot when I was younger. Go out, um, you know, to a nearby park or nature center or just into the woods, where whatever you have access to. It sounds like you have some great access where you yeah. live. And just find a place and sit by a pond or sit by a stream or sit under a, a big, you know, tree that calls to you and you feel really comfortable with that tree. And sit there for 20 minutes, sit there for an hour, sit there for multiple hours if you if you have the time. And just listen, mm. just observe, you know, just follow the wind in the trees or, or the sound in the water or, you know, the birds that fly by or chirp in the distance and not trying to like know anything, not, not taking notes and going to your, you know, books and, and, and trying to figure out everything you observe, but just experiencing it in that place of not knowing is um, I I found it's been fundamental to my development in all of this. I think that that's, that's really part of what is referred to as humility. Yeah. And and, and in that humility, another aspect of it is, you know, I'm, I'm all for science um, and the, the discoveries and everything, and I, you know, always reading articles, but I sometimes laugh when you see an article online or in a magazine where <laughs> they claim like we've discovered this, or we're just about to, you know, we're almost going to discover the source of the universe, you know, whatever, you know, the universe, <laughs> the answer, the big answer, you know, this is where it began. And I find that funny because I mean, for one thing, it's 
selling articles, you know, clickbait, you know, you got to come up with nice titles to get people interested. But, but I honestly feel the universe is always going to be at least one step ahead of us, if not quite a few steps ahead of us. And whenever we discover something and we think, oh, now we know this, the, there's an intelligence in the universe that is always going to be, you know, there's going to be something behind that, which is behind that, which we think we just figured out. Yeah. I, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson, I was just recently reading something he was saying that expressed that precise sentiment very eloquently as he manages to do for every sentiment I seem to be able to come up with. <laughs> um, one thing back to real, uh, bef- before we leave this topic, I would like to, um, point out what I have noticed as uh, looking at this modern sound healing kind of this teaching that's so prominent about frequencies and people's desire to know what frequency to use for this or that is what I've started calling it and thinking of it as is essentially the pharmaceutical mindset or the pharmaceutical approach that we're trained from in our culture at least and and in most around the world at this point that say you know you're you're a kid and you get a your first headache and then somebody said oh you have a headache you take aspirin or tylenol or you know ibuprofen or something this is what you take for a headache or if uh then then later you know you have a backache and they say here's what you take for this oh you have uh um, a cold, you'll take this, you have, you know, whatever it is, you take some sort of isolated chemical and it, you, it doesn't take a whole lot of looking to find out that that approach has some really big drawbacks. If you watch people, you know, the, the farther they go along the pharmaceutical road, the more pharmaceuticals they have to take because each pharmaceutical has a side effect and then that side effect causes you know or those side effects cause you need eventually need another pharmaceutical and you know you see people elderly people they have these pill cases where they have to take you know 20 different pills a day each one of them managing the side effect of another and 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 i just want to interject on, on that just a personal thing. My mom is in her 90s and she's not on any medicine at all. Yeah. And, and the doctors, you know, there was a point where doctors were putting her on certain medicines for things. And she was like, this makes me feel worse. I don't want it. And she'd stop taking them and and be fine without them, you know. Um, anyways, so go ahead. What, what I what I think is... One thing I really want to bring out through this this podcast series is essentially you've in you've you've stated it pretty well and and have embodied it in your life and practice is that is the whole a holistic approach that the 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 common you know frequency based pharmaceutical style approach to sound therapy and sound healing is essentially the opposite of holistic people tend to think it's holistic because it's alternative 
um, simply because it's not what the doctor prescribes, they think that maybe that makes it holistic, but really a holistic approach always involves holism, always involves not basically exactly the opposite of that. And yeah, yeah, exactly what you're saying there. Um, you know, we've mentioned 432, the 4032 phenomena are 528 or other frequencies. And you also mentioned earlier the thing about chakras and and um, and and like you know, C is the root chakra, F is the heart chakra, and uh, you know, having like a a set of Himalayan bowls tuned to your chakras. And that that is just like what you're saying. It's actually very reductionist. It's not holistic. It's and and it's a reductionist grid work or framework that some practitioners or some teachers, whatever you want to call them, apply to everyone. Like all root chakras resonate at a C. It's there's no evidence. I I have not. I'll just say for myself, I have never seen any evidence that supports that. I've actually and, done some studies that actually um, do the opposite of support it. Yeah. I, I, I as well, just informally, you know, I'm, with my own bowls and tones, you know, I've, I periodically ask people, you know, what is your response? And yeah, it does not support that. Um, one, one thing I'd like to mention here uh, to clarify, you know, because we've been sort of tearing down a little bit of what might be foundational to some some of our listeners' philosophy about sound therapy is even if the sort of a, approach of this frequency for this and this frequency for that, even if it's based on false or misleading information that does not mean it doesn't work and I think that that's one of the really interesting things that somebody can come with singing bowls and say these singing bowls are tuned to your chakras and perhaps they actually aren't because like you said each person is different but nevertheless if that person plays those singing bowls for you and they play them beautifully and they play them with healing intention, you're very, very likely to have a healing experience with even yeah, if yeah. even if the philosophy or the the knowledge based base that uh, that the person uses, even if it's based completely on totally false information, the sound healing itself, people still have healing experiences. And I think that's one of the big challenges because somebody can come with these tuning forks and say these are tuned, you know, to your liver, your heart, and your your third eye or, or whatever. And then you lie down and have them do their tuning fork therapy practice. And then afterwards you feel better. But that doesn't... So then you, the person, you know, receiving the treatment and the person giving it feels like that supports the theory that they propose for, you know, what those tuning forks do. But just because the, yeah, just because the theoretical foundation might be totally false, 
doesn't mean that the healing doesn't happen. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I found that almost every approach works regardless. It has something to do with more with the intention um, and the center. Exactly. The the intention, the, the awareness, um, Awareness. the attunement. I, I think the attunement of the practitioner is very significant in terms of the depth and quality Yes. Which again goes back to my teacher Sarah and, and about you know her work with you know training people to become sound healers was all about working on yourself, you know, getting your own mm. act together, getting your own attunement together. Physician so heal thyself. Can, yeah. And um and you you said, you know, how we were kind of tearing down some things. And I also just want to say for to be clear that I have no interest in tearing people down and discarding them you know it's not like us against them they're wrong throw those people away um no. i I'm, I'm challenging ideas and questioning ideas that have no basis and and my but for me it's an invitation you know to to something more more real more expansive or more solid or more with more basis, um, even if that basis is in a greater understanding and respect for the mystery and for not knowing. Um, mm. but, but it's, it's the, the dispelling of the darkness and bringing the light is, is an invitation to join in the light, not, not to, you know, separate people and push them away. Exactly. Um, I know that, or I suspect that you're going to be a, a guest on this show more than once. At least it's my hope because we obviously have a whole lot to talk about and we've already, uh, just opened up just a few doors and barely just lightly touched on some things that we could explore in great depth. Um, but I would, I suppose that we'll need to wrap up the show fairly soon so before yeah, well, yeah, actually- before we do, could you share with us? I know you 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 teach a lot. You have albums. You have books. You have a website. You do a whole lot of things. And I'd like to make sure our listeners have a good way to find out more about you, to get to experience your teaching, to get to read your books or listen to your album or whatever it is that you would like to share. If you could uh, yeah. let us know. Okay. Great. Um, well, for one thing, thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. I appreciate the questions you ask and the direction of the conversation. And I agree there's a lot more we could talk about. Um, but good to keep this. We're already over an hour, so keep it in digestible amounts. Um, my website is richgoodheart.com, which is spelled R-I-C-H-G-O-O-D-H-A-R-T. There's no E in the heart on that name, so richgoodheart.com. And um, you can find there, you know, about my recordings. Some of them are out of print, but I've got a new one, a new double CD called Forest River Pathway. Which, by the way, I just listened to, and I was incredibly delighted. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, And we're talking about art. You know, that's the thing I, I am a musician i'm a, an artist probably first and foremost and so 
when I record these albums or, uh, you know, when I do live events, you know, the live shamanic sound healing or shamanic sound medicine events that I do, I like to call it that these days, shamanic sound medicine. Um, you know, a lot of it relates to things I did on the album, but also what I can do in the studio is very different than what I do solo live. So there's a, you know also significant differences in terms of what happens. But I, I bring, you know, I bring the art of music to the practice of sound healing. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, I strive to anyway. That's my my intent, my goal. And so, like with that album that I just sent you, and you heard um, some of her one. It's a double CD, so I, however much you've heard of it, um, I. I I tread that there's a balance there that I try to do shamanic sound medicine and also have it function as as listenable art music where where the you know the art of music is it's not separate from the shamanic work you know there there's a level of of using the art in service to the healing and the sound medicine and the shamanic visionary experience so yeah, that, I think, you know, I, I very much appreciate that about you. I, I think that a lot of people that are interested in studying sound healing oftentimes neglect learning about music. Music is sound healing inherently and in, in the forms and structures and practices and instruments that have evolved over thousands of years on every continent in all these musical forms and instruments and phrases and chord structures and melodies and scales and modes and ragas, all of this, there is encoded into it and the, a knowledge base of, of healing from all cultures. And um, I think that people that are interested in studying sound healing and getting more involved in it, a really good place and a very often neglected place is to start learning about music. So I yeah, appreciate and that, that is, you're a musician. As you, mentioned, as you mentioned these other cultures, I mean, you look at ancient Greece or ancient China, um, music was part of being a healer, part of being a, a medicine person, a doctor. Uh, you know, that was considered one of the things to, to learn, was to, was to learn music as part of that um, part of your healing bag. Um, so in regard to that, um, yeah, I do a lot of events. I'm based in the Northeast in upstate New York and primarily work in the Northeast, uh, doing my live events. I have a carload of, of instruments that I bring out. Um, and, uh, hard, pretty difficult to fly with that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, so I tend to work in the Northeast. Uh, um, it just costs more <laughs> to go longer distances. Um, so, but I will be, uh, I, I teach at the Omega Institute, which is in Rhinebeck, New York. And I've been teaching there for 20 years on a core faculty and teaching on staff and uh, core faculty Qigong Tai Chi teacher. I'm in residence there a lot in the summertime, generally, somewhere between nine to 12 weeks um, 
has been my pattern in the last 10 years or so. And, uh, and then I also perform there. I do shamanic sound medicine offerings there. Uh, and this coming year in 2018, I will be in the catalog doing a catalog workshop the weekend of August 10th through the 12th. And I'll actually be co co-leading this workshop with Chloe Goodchild. And the title of the workshop is, um, now what's the title of the workshop again? Um, get this right. Sound medicine expanses. Mm. The subtitle subtitle is, is energy healing of sound and voice. And I will be doing a lot. My, my portion will be focused more on doing shamanic sound medicine experiences so people can immerse in the healing shamanic medicine experience. Um, and Chloe will be focusing more on the voice, getting people using their voice and expanding and tuning in, you know, not, not dissimilar from what I learned with Sarah, you know, using your voice in a, as a healing, um, this wonderfully beautiful, powerful healing tool. So we're, we're going to be, and it's, it won't be exclusively divided like that. I'll be assisting her. She'll be singing with me. You know, mm, it'll be sounds mixed nice. together. And so it's really designed not so much as, it's not designed as this is a training workshop for sound healers. It's designed for everyone who wants to immerse into the healing field of, of sound and, and have, you know, experiences. Come there, come there for a healing retreat uh, and immerse in the sound medicine for a weekend. And at the same time, it can be great for sound healers as well who want to expand their practice or tune into other ways of working and, you know, experience some profound sound medicine from a couple of different, hopefully, hopefully we're good, good teachers, good practitioners. I, I think we are. I think so. At least uh, I, you, I don't know her, but I presume if she's working with you. Yeah, she's, Chloe's from, um, it lives in England and uh, I met her about 10 years ago at a, uh, we were both um, faculty on a sound healing retreat at Rowe, the Rowe Conference Center, which is in Massachusetts. And um, yeah, so we, we've, we have a good connection there. Before we, uh, before we leave off, is there anything you would like to any anything we didn't touch on or anything you'd just like to leave the listeners with? Um, yeah, well, there's loads of things. And I'll, I'll try <laughs> to do this and not kick us off on another 20 minutes of conversation. But um, uh, first off, besides my website, and at my website you can find my CDs and my books and other information about the work I do. And it's kind of a sprawling website. Um I, I have this perpetual plan of cleaning it up a little bit, but but then again, you know, there's a lot to a, a lot of little side turns you can take and find some different things at my website. I also play the banjo, but I don't play traditional bluegrass banjo. I, I have an open tuning. I have nylon strings on it, and I'll play it just like that. But um, I also have what I call I've put together this ex extended banjo experience called the Cosmosonic Trance Banjo. There's a, there's a video on your website. I highly recommend that people check it out. It's pretty, pretty awesome to see in here. 
Yeah, there, there's a there's a couple of videos, and 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 I think there's another video that I have yet to put the link on my website. But if you go to YouTube, or you follow my other videos to YouTube, they, they should link up there. Um, yeah, so you can experience the Cosmosonic Trance banjo, and and I'll just say that what you're hearing is entirely acoustic. The only electronics involved are the microphones that we've placed on it to mic it up and record it, um, and I use that in my sound healing work. It's it's a wonderful instrument for for using music in the art of music and and a very unique sound. Yeah, I I, um, I like it. And 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 the one other thing I want to say, which kind of goes back to something we were talking about, and then I, then I'll then I'll leave it <laughs> to an end. Um, and maybe this will be a seed for further exploration next time. Is um, we're talking about the mystery and the not knowing and being comfortable with that. And I've had in my uh, events, my group offerings, a rather large number of people with chronic back pain, shoulder pain, neck pain, um, a lot of it, much of it, maybe most of it coming from injuries that people sustained. Some of them actually broken, broken bones broken vertebrae, others, you know, whatever the injuries. And in terms of the medical perspective, it's healed. You know, if everything's healed, the bones are healed, and yet people will have chronic pain. And what's been, what is always, a, you know, a wonderful surprise to me is when someone has that experience healed in one event. Um, hmm. And... You know, you were talking about the running before. It made me think of a couple of years ago, maybe two years ago at a mega, I was doing one of these, and a guy came up to me afterwards, and he said, this guy was in his probably early 60s, and he said, I have this shoulder injury, and uh, I've been seeing therapists for months, and I go to the physical therapist, and they work on me, but I, we can't seem to release this, you know, restriction in my shoulder. And, you know, what she has been telling me is your shoulder needs to drop. You know, it's being held and we're trying to get it to release and let go and drop. And and I'm not saying this is anything against physical therapists, not, nothing against anybody. But he said, you know, I was sitting there and, and your music brought me into this really nice meditation and I was in a very peaceful place and I was just kind of seeing the sound come at me, you know, with my eyes closed. And when you picked up the drum and you started a rhythm... I started seeing these pulsing waves of energy coming to my body, coming to me. And the more the drum got intense and your rhythm picked up tempo and intensity, the more that pulsing focused into my body. And then I saw it focusing into my shoulder to where it was like this pulsing wave of energy penetrating my shoulder. And, um, and then my shoulder dropped. It let mm. go and dropped. And he, and he goes, I don't know what you did, but man, you've just done something really amazing. And my response is, hey, I don't know what I just did either. <laughs> you know, I can tell you like the things we've been talking about, um, but I can't claim that I just did this to you. Mm. I, I created a, a space that allowed you to come into attunement with yourself. And the sound clearly assisted that. The sound assisted that 
on a mental and emotional way by bringing in your mind into a place where it could let go. You brought your mind into a place where you could tune into the energy of your body. And and then there was the sound, the energy of the drum coming through. You know, it was all of these things. Again, it was this holistic process. Um, Beautiful. So I'll leave you with that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It has been an honor having you here, Rich Goodhart, and hopefully get to have you as a guest again. And uh, thank you out there, listeners. Hope you, I'm sure you enjoyed this, especially if you're interested in these topics. And uh, just uh, keep on listening. We'll have some more amazing special guests. Thank you, Rich. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you again. Thanks so for, so much for having me, for for appreciating my work enough to have me on your show. And um, I know you've mentioned to me some of the other guests, and it's really, really an honor to be included amongst all these people in your program. And and thanks to any any listener who's made it this far. Thank you for bearing <laughs> with us. I know we you know can go on for quite some time here. Hopefully, it was um, engaging enough and meaningful enough to uh, to people. Maybe it definitely was for me so thank you for listening to the art and science of sound healing I'm your host Thomas Orr Anderson until next time